this is not new. There's been pandemics. Uh, there's been plague. There's been influenza pandemics that have killed millions in the early 20th century, as recently as that. We're used to this in the church. It, it happens every. I mean, you know, the church is 2,000 years old. We've been there, done that. Uh, so we, when we know that human contact spreads a deadly illness, uh, we engage in sensible, reasonable precautions to protect human life, and that means that we we suspend you know, our normal activities, even including the most essential and necessary activity of divine worship. Welcome to a special episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical and joyful. Today's show is the coronavirus and the church. It's a conversation recorded very carefully in our own homes at a suitable distance from each other. So we're, we're maintaining the, the isolation protocols about the unique situation we find ourselves in and how we deal with its effects, especially in relation to spiritual matters and matters of the church. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Father Sam Lynch, who cares for two parishes in Sydney. Thanks for joining us, Father. I am so excited to be here. I have wanted to be on your podcast since you started it. I'm slightly <laughs> insulted that it took you so long to invite one of your closest friends onto the podcast. <laughs> I have to say I've been a little bit intimidated. Uh, you know, you and Renee and Cormac, I mean, you're also brainy and you've read everything and you know everything and I'm a bit concerned that I'm going to seem a bit dumb by comparison. But thankfully, Box admitted last week that he usually doesn't know what he's talking about. So I, I feel that it's okay. I'm going to be okay. Thank you for coming on. It's very much, and as you say, it's long overdue. But um, I've brought you on specifically because we wanted to address a number of issues to do with our response to the coronavirus in particular. There's been a lot flying around the web, especially social media, about what Catholics should be doing in regards to mass and their other spiritual obligations. What does this mean for Catholics? I had to respond to one particular prophecy that someone claimed to have had from Our Lady. The question is really... Parish priests regularly have to respond to prophecies from Our Lady. Uh, so, you know, you, this is this is not something that's unfamiliar to me, Peter. I've, I've had She that pops in on a Wednesday, well. does she, just to, to give you a prophecy? Well, you know, it just sort of depends on who you're talking to and, you know, but, but trust me, parish priests are familiar with that particular... Uh, issue yep it happens more than you'd think i'm not sure how many people would like me saying this but i was slightly amused by the fact that our lady is supposed to have been appearing at magigoria for something like 33 years now and she took a break this week for the coronavirus that was an interesting development in magigoria i think Look, it's many people many people that i have known many many people i've known have been to Magigoria and have experienced profound graces of particularly of conversion there. And so I try not to openly mock it, even though I agree <laughs> with you that there are certain aspects of the whole phenomenon that are clearly, you know, indicate that there's a it's not quite what it appears to be. But it's the the conversions are real, the graces are real, people's lives have been changed much for the better. Uh, in in large numbers through going to Magigoria, so you can't, you know, you might want to knock it, but you can't knock that. 
No, no, I wouldn't knock it. I, I, the same way that I wouldn't knock the good that comes out of some a place like Hillsong, for example, which is there are many people who've revived their faith through a contact with someone who's very enthusiastic and has music that they like and things like that. And then they, they come back to the church. And I, I, I thank God for that contact that they had with them. I still wouldn't recommend Hillsong as a, as a starting point for a spiritual revival, though, in any case. Well, I won't knock Hillsong in this context. We need to talk about the coronavirus nineteen for that anyone who's somehow on the moon perhaps and doesn't know what's going on is a, uh, a basically a flu-like virus. And I say like in the in the inverted commas because it's about the closest thing in ordinary life we have to it, but it's quite a lot more serious. It's very much more infectious and it's it spreads and it's a risk to vulnerable people in particular. Um, some people have died from it who are quite normal health but in particular the mortality rates are high amongst the elderly the immunocompromised people with respiratory conditions diabetes or any pre-existing health uh, detrimental something detrimental to their health what one of the things i wanted to talk to you about is that around the world there are announcements all over the place of some dioceses having stopped offering masses completely especially in italy where it's really quite serious like it's really hit high levels um and we're hearing some well, dioceses. Sorry, can I can I correct that? You mean public masses? It's not that Excellent. mass isn't being said. Mass is yep. still being said, but uh, in fact, amusingly, there was there was a a thing that someone showed me on the internet yesterday with a priest who was feeling lonely and and, and couldn't hadn't seen his congregation, so he got them all to send them send him a selfie, and then okay. he put their faces all around the church on the pews, so that when he was saying mass for them he'd be able to see their faces, which is kind of sweet. <laughs> it is kind of sweet. It's kind of like the step before VR masses. Um, but that was very good. I mean, he is saying the mass for them anyway. Um, he is. We, as Catholics, we know that we have an, uh, an obligation. In fact, we have a deep need to worship God. And uh, that need is so deep in us that it's, it, it's embodied in the third commandment of the Ten Commandments. Um, of of obligating us to uh, worship on the Sabbath, which for Christians is the Sunday. Um, so it's it's a deep seated need in the human heart to connect with God, and we do that as His family. We, you know, particularly public worship is quite different to private prayer. When we come together as the whole body of Christ uh, with the priest acting in persona Christi as the head of the body of Christ. We are um, enacting the worship of heaven uh, and making it present in a particular location and a particular time. So, you know, it might not look like much, but what Catholics believe is that something of cosmic significance and extraordinary grace is taking place. The sacrifice that saved us all is being represented to us in mm. this time, in this place, in an unbloody manner. And so being part of that, participating in that actively, actually being present at it and and engaging in that, uh, in the roles in which the laity engage in it, um, is, is our lifeblood, really. It's the source and summit of the church's life, John Paul II um, particularly made the point of saying. So there is a, a number of circumstances I can think of where even if I could make it to Mass, I might not receive communion, for example. So 
um, if I if I find myself that I haven't prepared properly for mass, or or if I'm in a state of um, not in a state of grace, or if I didn't get there on time and it was my laziness that didn't get me there on time, you know, the kind of thing that I'm talking about. The point is, is that there still seems to be a benefit in being physically present, even when the you know the reception of communion itself isn't possible. And the church has made uh, allowances, all kinds of variations. Uh, to the reception of communion, even when people, for example, if they're an alcoholic or if they're celiac or, or, you know, we make adjustments to these kinds of conditions. If if there is a prudent reason uh, which is related to someone's health, would you, is that a fair comment? The, the whole idea of everyone having to go to communion if you're at Mass is a very recent idea, actually, in the Church's history. I mean, we have to remember that we've been around for a long time, two millennia, and mm-hmm. uh, the idea of you know, it's, it's kind of flipped really because um, in the past people uh, emphasised far more the need to prepare spiritually to receive communion and so they, they received less frequently. And that wasn't considered a strange thing at all or, or a thing that was kind of, um, uh, there was no stigma attached to it or anything like that, quite the opposite. It was seen as um, reverencing the sacrament and, and uh, an act of piety to make sure that, you know, you had really prepared well. And also we used to have a much longer um, fasting time for uh, reception of communion. Now right. it's, it's been reduced to just an hour. Um, when my mother was younger, it was at three hours uh, before it was reduced to an hour. Um, and but but the the ancient tradition going back almost two thousand years is the apostolic fast, the um, called apostolic because it comes from the time of the apostles that you didn't eat from midnight the night before until you received communion, out of right. reverence for the blessed sacrament. So there's there's lots of reasons uh, apart from being in mortal sin why you <laughs> would not have received uh, holy communion while you were at mass in the past yeah. and really that's that's whole that whole zeitgeist has changed and maybe this is a good opportunity for us to reflect on that and whether or not that's been an entirely healthy development it could i mean it, one of the things we could say in a positive sense is that the church has always had a tradition of us um making a spiritual act of communion in in a circumstance where we're not able to receive what what does that mean a, a spiritual communion this is one I have prepared earlier. I thought you might ask me that. And so I, I actually found, I actually memorized a different spirit, prayer of spiritual communion when I was younger. But um, because I'm a priest and I, I kind of, mass is kind of on tap for me. I've right. forgotten my old spiritual communion prayer, so I don't use it that often very, anymore. But here you go. Here is one you could say. Maybe we could put it in the show notes. That would be a good my idea. Jesus. I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Very simple, but but very profound. It's it's basically saying, look, Lord, my physical circumstances or some circumstance is preventing me from receiving you sacramentally at the moment. Uh, that shouldn't mean that I miss out on the grace of communion and I unite myself to you 
uh, in the same way, in a spiritual way, and ask for the grace of the sacrament from your bountiful mercy and generosity, even though I can't receive you sacramentally. Um, there's there's plenty of um, writings of saints who have had the privilege of speaking to our Lord, um, who have talked about spiritual communion, and the Lord the Lord has often assured the saints. Um, I can't I can't think of a particular example, but I, I know I've read this in a number of them. Um, he's often assured them, you know, of course I want to be with you. Of course I will be with you. If you make a spiritual communion, be assured that that I uh, will give you the graces that you desire um, in asking for them. So uh, some of the, the more wild speculation online, the more pious sort of posts have suggested that, well, if it's if it's Christ's body and blood, there's no way you can he's going to let you be catch a disease through that because it's miraculous in itself. It seems to me to be a, just slightly misunderstand the nature of um, the Eucharist. Um, look, it's I, I don't wish to be unkind, but that is quite a dangerously foolish notion. I'd have to I'd really have to condemn that idea entirely as as quite dangerously foolish uh, of course the blessed sacrament itself is um, the body blood soul and divinity of jesus christ but the virus particles that fall on it aren't <laughs> and and if you consume them along with uh the blessed sacrament then the normal processes of what might happen to you if you had anything that was contaminated with virus particles will happen yeah so there's no sizzling sort of anti like the vampire with the holy symbol or something it doesn't sizzle away in the magically with the sacrament also there's the well, touching of the pews and every other place in the place as well so yeah as gathering in any other place um you know going to a sporting stadium or a, or a, a bar or a gym or any other place where you might um uh, yeah. leave virus particles around the place that others might pick up and then, um, you know, take on board through their eyes or their mouth or their nose. God wants you to come to Mass next month and the month after that. If you're dead, you won't, won't be coming back to Mass after this dangerous <laughs> past. God gave us our life, and it's and it's the most precious thing we have apart from the gift of eternal life. So right. it is the highest good below eternal life. The Lord said, greater love uh, has no man than the one who lays down his life for his friend. So the thing, the fact of the matter is, is that if we're putting people in danger, if their lives are at risk, seriously at risk, uh, because um, I'm going to, you know, go into a situation where I can get the virus and I can spread the virus or they can, then clearly God doesn't want that. Clearly, God doesn't want that because he wants you back. He wants you in two months' time or three months' time or however long this takes to be back in church, and you won't be if you're dead. And so in answer to the people, now I've already given this answer to some people, so maybe I should be confessing it, but the answer to the people who've said, well, what are you worried about anyway? If you're in a state of grace, you'll go straight to heaven. Uh, my answer is maybe God's not got an appointment with me yet. Maybe I've, <laughs> I shouldn't just walk on the road thinking it's all right, I'm in a state of grace, you know, I've trucked. Truck might be coming, but I'll get. I'll just stand here because I'm in a state of grace. If you recklessly risk your life taking on needless dangers that are quite serious, 
And by the way, in your case, you'd be risking other people's families' lives. lives. Yeah. Uh, then you're not necessarily going to die in a state of grace because that would be <laughs> gravely sinful. <laughs> All right. So in other words, be be sensible. These things are practical and sensible matters. How, how can we as Christians respond to such a crisis? Instead of simply being fearful, there is a Christian response, which does not have to be a risky response. It can be in some people's cases, but it doesn't have to be a risky response. Things like, for example, I'm going to suggest not being selfish, not hoarding things which perhaps an elderly person could have used, um, being generous with what we do have, and that might be company via this kind of means. We're talking over the internet now. One of the things I've been concerned about is that with everybody not going to Mass, or and especially those people I know who, who have their livings based on public events, such as obviously the, the offerings in the priest's plate or speakers who go around and do good things, but they, all the events are being shut down, there, there's a certain amount of um, concern that they'll suddenly be without income and then the priest simply won't be looked after. I, I mean, I've got around it by the fact that I donate directly to my parish via uh, bank accounts, etc. Is every parish likely to have that set up, Father, if someone wants to donate to their local parish? That option's available in every parish that I'm aware of. Um, it's not always taken up, the, particularly with the first collection, which is for the support of clergy. Uh, they, they often, um, people just put money on the plate. But, um, and look, you know, it's, it's important. I kind of I'm attached to eating um, it's, it's it's sort of something I like to do uh, occasionally and um, yeah you know every now and again I don't just subsist on the Eucharist um, but so yes I mean I think you know I mean it's not necessarily the first thing I'd be saying to people but uh, it is a consideration and it is something that of course is um, uh, very much appreciated when people do think of their priest and looking after their priest Hmm. It well, we're long past the days where people would show up with. Oh, maybe we're not past the days. No, we're in, not. In, when people would show if up. If you mean with food people and, turning up with food, yeah. no, that happens all the time. Oh, good. It used to happen when I was a, a Lutheran minister way back in the day that people would show up with lots of produce, and it was it was quite heartening to know that they thought of you. In terms of um, mental health, this has been a big factor going around in in um, various mental health services that I'm associated with, lots of concern for people um, who have pre-existing mental health uh, issues being shut in, but also just ordinary people. I mean, you get cabin fever because we're all stuck. <laughs> we're not seeing people in the regular way. There's, there's a certain sort of sense of um, loneliness and a little bit of um, negativity. So uh, apart from all the usual things like indulging in recreation and stuff what's some spiritually good ways we could help ourselves uh you know devotions perhaps or specifically from my perspective praying for other people rather than just on my own situation well i think that's a very important question but just with respect to the mental health sort of stuff one of the things that coming to church does for people is that it gives them a community i mean the thing that binds us together is that we that we uh, all believe the same thing and we're all there to worship God and to receive his grace in order to be you know become more like him that's that's what we have in common um, we're not coming to play soccer it's not a soccer club uh, and it's not just a sort of a social club but it's a it's a place where 
the reason why we're together is because we have this common faith and desire to worship God. But one of the side benefits of that is that it creates a community of care and of love for each other. And so some of the things that my parishioners uh, have been doing is um, uh, talking about, okay, we've got elderly people in our parish and we've got quite a number who are living alone. Um, maybe they have some family, but not nearby. Um, so how can we just make sure that they're being, you know, that we phone them on a regular basis, you know, and just have a chat to them and make sure that they're feeling okay and that they're, you know, not feeling isolated and alone. Another thing that happened yesterday, um, and I, I'm going to claim credit for this, at my suggestion was that Bishop um, Richard Umbers, the auxiliary bishop in Sydney, who's in charge of uh, the young clergy, he um, asked that we establish a, a, a WhatsApp group for young clergy. And I have to say, um, I was kind of a bit surprised by my own reaction to that in the sense that, you know, it, the phone's been blinging every now and again o over the course of the day. Um, and the guys are actually talking to one another um, and it does make you feel less alone and less isolated. So that that's, I think, um, making use of the technology that we have at our disposal, which we didn't have a hundred years ago, um, to help with the social isolation and the cabin fever, as you say, um, that's going to be a consequence of, you know, needing to have social distancing and so forth um, sure. to control the pandemic is really important. Um, even though we can't pray together physically, uh, there's plenty of opportunities for people, uh, and, and I think you'll find there'll be more. Uh, I think there's plans... Uh, for um, priests to uh, create new podcasts in competition with yours, Peter. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I'm giving, more power to them. More, more Catholic stuff out there is great. <laughs> giving homilies, right? Um, so that and and scripture reflections on the on the um, on the daily mass readings and the weekend mass readings, so that people have that. There's also um, a number of different ways that you can get mass. On, through the internet or even on television, more on the internet though. Um, the St Mary's Cathedral Sunday Mass at 10.30 is being live streamed uh, at the moment. And so even if people can't be physically present at Mass, they can still pray um, along with the Archbishop as he is praying uh, praying the Mass or the Dean, whoever's saying the Mass. Um, and so there's those things. I'd also say um, there's there should be opportunities and there are opportunities for people to pray together. One guy that I know who happens to be my barber um, uh, sometimes phones a friend and they'll just pray a decade of the rosary together. So that's a very simple way um, to uh, keep that life of prayer going. I'd also mm. say there are some there are some particular things that we could do at the moment. Um, there are a number of saints who are known in, you know, have are particularly associated with pandemics. One of them is a Saint Rocco or Saint Rock, R O C H oh. in English. Wow. Um, he he is um, a medieval saint who around at the I mentioned the Black Death before. Well, he was around during the Black Death, and um, he he was someone who had the gift of physical miracles. So. He walked around uh, making the sign of the cross over people who then recovered from the plague. 
So there's that. Sometimes God does intercede in, in terms of physical miracles. There's also St. Charles Borromeo. He, um, he was uh, an aristocrat and quite a you know well-to-do sort of person. And it was really uh, the experience of um, you know the suffering that came because of, uh, I think it was also plague in his case. Uh, might have been other illnesses, but it was a you know pandemic situation that really started getting him off his rear end and got him moving into you know I need to go out and console people. I need to really live my priesthood. Um, I think he was a bishop actually, and he went out to the people and he and he gave them the sacraments and he prayed with them and he um, uh, helped them spiritually to accept the suffering that they uh, you know that we all had to suffer together and to find in it uh, um, peace and a certain spiritual joy and uh, hope and the knowledge that God had not abandoned them and that God was still with them. There's also St. Aloysius, who's uh, uh, the patron saint of youth. And St. Aloysius um, actually died ministering to the sick in one of these, um, one of these outbreaks. Um, so, and there's probably many other examples of, of saints mm. like that, uh, who you can have devotion to and pray to particularly um, in confronting the, the physical reality, you know, the fear, the natural fear and, and worry and tendency to be a bit, you know, become upset and to sort of become tense about, about fear of the future. Um, uh, the grace to, you know, overcome that and look outwards and to mm. see how you can contribute, how you can help others. And also the grace if you end up, you know, becoming sick, the grace to accept that uh, with, you know, a certain good grace and a certain serenity and hope, knowing that God is with you in your suffering uh, and that whatever happens and uh, what matters in the end is, is that you are uh, in the hands of God. Some of those examples would seem to indicate that it's it's a, the really Christian thing to do is go out there and, and just take the risks, uh, though. Um and what I, I guess I was looking for is is what what if some I've already in good in good faith and prudence determined that um, it's not uh, it's not worth the risk just now because I'm not just risking myself but others, um, or even if I'm in a vulnerable situation. What what kind of I mean the the devotion to these saints is a very strong part of what you just said. Um, some some basic prayers, um, obviously the daily rosary or the off the divine office if you have access to it. Um, I guess in some respects you, you touched on it when you talked about touching base with other people, thinking about other people rather than ourselves. Um, yep. We don't have to take risks to do that. We can make an effort to no. contact people. And and also, I mean, we've had a, a couple of chuckles even in this podcast discussing something quite serious. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of humour. Sometimes in these times black humour helps a little bit <laughs> in a sense of dark humour. This kind of are thing you, can actually... Are you making a reference to the way I'm dressed? <laughs> was neither racist nor nor fashion sense. Um, black humour usually is a reference to dark humour, so it's, it's a little bit morbid um, in some respects. But in, in other words, being able to laugh a little bit at our circumstances with never mocking anyone but laughing together at our own fears in some respects um, to... Um, or, or you could to, lift them to your, to your podcast on laughter. <laughs> you could do that. In fact, I posted it as a possible antidote to the current depression recently. 
all of these things are genuinely part of being human. And we, we can't, if this thing goes on as long as uh, the government seems to think it, it's going to go on. We're going to have to find ways to be a bit lighthearted more than, you know, in six months' time or something. We need to be lighthearted each day at least a little bit to be able to come through. And um, we also find out if we're actually good people or if we just pretend to be when everything's nice. And now it's not nice. We find out now what sort of person we really are. That's very true. And I think one of the things that we need to understand uh, as this goes on is, is that, you know, I mean, we're about the same age and in our lifetime, um, most people probably are our age or younger in Australia. We've never experienced any kind of crisis of this kind. Mm. Um, what's happening in other places in the world with this virus is genuinely frightening and it is scary and there is a temptation for people to panic by and to sort of you know draw up the drawbridge and and look after themselves and and so forth that's not a winning solution um very simply it's that's that's going to end badly uh so as christians we know that that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. And that needs to be reiterated again and again, that we mm. that we really need to um, say that over and over. And we need to acknowledge that in order to truly live as children of God, we must have God's grace. We really need to, to ask God every day for the grace uh, to deal with um, the situation that we're in. And it will be challenging. There will be, you know, really challenging times ahead. Hmm. All right. Well, that's probably it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or arguing with us on the podcast device, let us know. You can subscribe to the podcast at thiscatholiclife.com.au. You can tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, or what you'd like us to discuss in the future um, at info at thiscatholiclife.com.au. Some people have already suggested that we do a show on how to find new activities that can be done online or at home, all those sorts of things. Uh, we can work on that. You can join the conversation on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Discord, or simply send the email to us. Before we go, it's time for a quick shout-out. Do you have anyone you'd like to greet, Father Sam? I do. I want to shout-out to all the doctors and nurses uh, who are um, dealing with this problem calmly and, and professionally and really caring for our sick in the community. Good on you. God Indeed. bless you in your work. Indeed. I'd like to um, to shout out to all the bosses who have been reasonable about genuine fears in people's homes that have allowed them to be flexible in their work environments. And I pray that they continue to be and that they um, that they help us all to, to be prudent as is appropriate to our individual circumstances. Thank you very much to those people, especially my boss, who isn't on the podcast today, but <laughs> will be hopefully in the future. Um, that's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life. Mm-hmm.